Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Praise God. Are uh, you guys please be seated? God is good. Amen. All the time. I entitled this message, Finish the Fight, the War on Identity. Uh, before we get to uh, the main context of our scripture, I believe that a lot of us, whether we come, uh, no matter how long you've been here, uh, no matter what stage you are in your walk with God, even uh, as a member in this church, I believe that for once, what was once a privilege in coming into the house of God, sometimes we get trapped up and it becomes an obligation. And we have our services and we go home, we fellowship, we give, we hear the word, whether you respond to the altar calls or not, we have church and then we just go home. But there's a greater purpose to why we meet here and why we do what we do. And I believe that we need to be reminded of that as often as possible because we easily forget. The writer in Hebrews says it perfectly in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward loving good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There, there is a culture in this house. And the culture is it's the DNA that is woven that is woven into the to, to what we do for God here. And some of it is intentional, and some of it is by default. Did you know that everything has a culture? Your job has a culture. Your, your, uh, the, the type of work environment that you it has a culture. The schools, other churches, they have a culture. And if culture isn't implemented intentionally, it'll create itself, whether it's good or bad. And one thing that this house is faithful to, the culture in this house, one thing it's faithful to is the fidelity of God's word. From the ins and outs, God's word is of the utmost importance to what we do and why we do it. I can't, I can't even say also, I can't even say secondly, because without this one, we can't have the first one. But we also, what, what we're also faithful to when we acknowledge is the work of the Holy Spirit. That a part of the work of the Holy Spirit, what can we accomplish that's a part of God's will? What are we doing? Why do we, we'd be meeting in vain if not the work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe today, in today's generation, in, to, in today's society, that we have to be watchful. We have to be watchful of an enemy. The devil is a liar. He is a liar. And, and he, does, he, comes to, he comes to still kill and destroy. He, he's roaming around like a lion, seeking anyone, anything that he can devour. Anything that he touches, he perverts. And because he doesn't play fair, he will use all sorts of manner against you to trip you up. He'll, he'll even use people in the church to distract you. The devil will use uh, a job, uh, a promotion, anything in the form of, of blessing. He will even use it as a distraction. And one thing that I, that, that I struggle with and that I see is, is we're, we are an entitled generation. I'm not talking about your age because there are people that have been here for 30, 40 years. I'm not talking about your age and the generation as a whole. I'm talking about churchgoers today are entitled. And we see it, we see it in, in almost everything that happens. And what, what also is that I've seen is a decline is the moral, is the, is 
the value of honor and sacrifice. The value of honor and sacrifice. And so despite where we go and how we move, God's word is forever. This isn't this doesn't have to do with the main context of, of, of what I'm going to share today. But Paul, he's, he's in a damp prison cell, just awaiting his death, literally. It's the last thing I'm going to write before I die. And he writes to, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. It says, but, uh, in verse 1, it says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Right there, that verse right there, verse 7, Paul is quoting Isaiah chapter 6, and this gives away who he's speaking to. Lawless people that they hear but they don't do. Verse 8, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in this case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. He's speaking about people in the church. He's speaking about leaders, pastors, teachers. Everyone in the church he's describing have nothing to do with these people. I wonder why we treat famous Christians or popular uh, pastor influencers like they can't, like they can do no wrong, like they can, like they don't live in error, like they don't live out in their flesh, like there's no compromise in them at all. I remember growing up, uh, I used to listen to this uh, metal band called As I Lay Dying. There was a uh, Tim Lambesis. He was he was the fr- he was a front man. He did the vocals, and they were a Christ- these were a Christian band. I'm coming up 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. Love this band. Listen to them every single day. I, I had the iPod shuffle, so like the whole 98 songs was just them. Th- this man, he, they're they're outright Christians. They they love the Lord. They that's, they preach the gospel at their shows. This man hired a hitman to kill his wife. When I found this out, I was crushed. I like, I, I literally was like blown away. My faith, I, I dare to say that my faith was even tested. That this person that we look up to, I mean, the, what do we hear, right? We're our favorite football team, so-and-so says they're a Christian and we just go crazy. I'm going to buy their jersey. Oh my goodness, they can, they're just perfect, right? And we treat these people like they, can't, they can do no wrong. Like, we, we, we live in an era of compromise. And it, what this verse is saying, not from the world, because they don't know any better. It's within the very faith. It's within the very churches that we have. Worship leaders abandoning their call to worship God, to pursue secular music, and, and put out R&B, R&B albums. We have pastors talking reckless, uh, abandoning this, this holy platform right here, just to go on podcasts and say whatever they want to say. John 15, verse 18 through 20 says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You you know, we don't desire to be hated. 
I don't wake up and say, you know what, today I'm going to be hated. Hate is a byproduct from the world when you follow Jesus. That is the truth. It tells us right there. So even within the church, I wonder why we treat our brothers and our sisters like they can do no wrong. Like they don't live out in compromise, like they don't live out in their flesh. And what we do is we just say, you know what, we just turn a blind eye to it. And, and we, just, we just neglect it and, and we just, we let it go. And there was a powerful quote that I heard at the conference. They said, if you don't love them, don't correct them. And this rang so true to me. And, 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 but with the right heart and God's word, does it not say that all scripture is God-breathing, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work? So from what I gather from everything that I said, is that there is no Bible celebrating, condoning, or participating in compromise. And, 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 and trust me, like, I know the friction, and I can, I can feel the tension, and you understand that what I'm saying, you know why sometimes it rubs us the wrong way is because we carry that spirit of compromise too. And we come in the form of, we, we like to give everything the benefit of the doubt, and we like to be passive-aggressive, just let it happen, so be it, everything's going to be good. Because we, we too carry that spirit of compromise, whether, whether it's with good intention or not. I want to be a part of a generation that heard the truth, that heard the gospel, and they accepted it. That they, that they fought for it. That they stood on it. That everything about the gospel is everything that I am. And this is the type of generation that I want to be a part of. Is that we hear it and we accept it. And we stand on it. So one day I pass a baton with no grief, no regret. And I'm just chilling because I finished my race with power. Something that I've learned in my walk is that compromise will suffocate you. You think, of, you think of a guillotine choke or, 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 or just somebody, somebody just choking you out. Is it that, that, that your, your airwaves are blocked and the brain is no longer receiving air so you just go out like that? And compromise has suffocated our nation because it has strayed away from its biblical values. It is a nation that no longer trusts in God. I'm talking about the government. I'm talking about our, our politicians. I'm not talking about every single church. I'm talking about a nation that once pledges allegiance to God, but they took the flags out of their schools. They took the Pledge of Allegiance out of the schools. But we have drag queens in our, in our schools twerking in front of our children. We have drag queens and we have pedophiles twerking in front of children. Because we're stuck in our little bubble that doesn't bother us. There is no righteous indignation. There's nothing, there's nothing about that that stirs you up or that says, this is wrong. Like, not even wrong. It's just disgusting and perverted to the highest degree. A spirit of compromise will keep you from the truth and it will, it will keep you in rebellion. So how can we finish a fight that's already been finished? The Lord said it is finished. It's by keeping away from compromise from knowing your identity and just being obedient to Christ. Being obedient and standing firm on the word of God. The fidelity of God's word. So Father, today we thank you, God, for every single heart that is in this place. I thank you, God, for every single person, Lord, that is here that wants to hear your word. Father, I pray that you would knock on the door of, your, of their heart. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. I am but a man and I set myself aside for you to move. I am but a vessel, God. 
But without your Holy Spirit, I can do nothing. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would walk up and down these rows, that you would comfort the broken, that you, Lord, would just begin just to touch those, God, that are hurting and that are willing to hear a word from you today. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Rocky. Uh, first off, happy birthday to our beloved pastor. We love you. All right. Yeah. I feel like you don't get older. Like I'm just catching up to you in age. That's how I feel. So he's, I think he's 38. Right, Pastor Isaac? Something like that. Uh, happy birthday. We honor our pastoral team, uh, Sister Letty. We love you. Uh, the rest of our pastoral team, my wife, um, you're so anointed. Uh, she's so anointed. Yeah, I was mad at her today, and I was like, man, I ain't going to be in worship service. I don't want to listen to her today. And then I come out here, and I get all nervous, and I'm like, dang, the Holy Spirit's moving, and the Lord corrected me. <laughs> We're humans, too. God is good. Um, oh, we also celebrated our 11 years of marriage. Yes. 11 years. Man, I'm still attracted to my wife after 11 years. I'm lucky, I guess. Uh, that's a rare thing. Uh, we have two beautiful children, another one on the way. I can't wait to hold that baby. And I just hope it's a fat little ball of butter. Like, <laughs> some of you guys remember Mila. She was, she, she was thick. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. Um, we're going to read out of the book of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah was the largest prophetic book in all of the Bible. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is 66 chapters. 66 chapters. Um, and what I love about the book of Isaiah is it almost mirrors the whole Bible. Like when you, when you think about it, it is, it is 39 chapters of warning and judgment upon, upon the people of Judah. 39 chapters of like just the Lord is ripping them apart through the prophet Isaiah. And then it's 27 chapters after of comfort, hope, and love. And you look at the, the Old Testament, 39 books, and then the New Testament, 27 books. I, I thought that was interesting. Chapter 1, and I'm not going to have time to, to, to uh, go through chapter 1, um, but I want to read chapter 1, verse 10. This is what Isaiah says to the people. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So, uh, pause, Sodom and Gomorrah represented the human wickedness and divine retribution that was to come to them. It goes on, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who ask this of you, this trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. My goodness. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the, fatherless, of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. God completely, I mean, if you know where they are at this time, the Israelites, it's broken into two. Israel's lost. The southern kingdom of Judah is going to be taken over, and he just rips them apart. Like, almost like being kicked when you're down. And, and because of the truth, no matter how much it hurts, 
we can never rightfully know how wrong we are. That without the, with the absence of truth, then we would be lost. And, and so he's starting out with chapter one. He's like, I'm not playing no games. I have no time. I have to tell these people how it is. And this is the Lord, how he went about it to the, to the kingdom of Israel. And it goes on and it says, come now. After all that, he says, come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I believe the prophet Isaiah probably wouldn't last or get many, uh, get many church invites after he shared that prophetic word. Everything is how blessed you are and what's going to happen in the new season and, 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 and promotion and all that stuff. Judah at this time, they were facing an identity crisis. I want to go on to share that identity comes from two things. It could come from more, but I'm going to point out two things. Your identity will come from knowledge and from kinship. Knowing who you are based off of who created you and who you belong to. And the damage of identity, the, the, the damage that identity issues bring about are, are, are plenty of things. The lack of self-respect, low self-esteem, you have no personal boundaries, or maybe you have trouble even connecting with other people. The, the lack of identity and identity issues, it affects how we live. It affects how we believe. It affects us emotionally. That's why, so, that's why some of our marriages are still broken. Or maybe you, you're not able to maintain a relationship with anyone at all. Identity issues affect us spiritually. Like some of, some of you are broken and, and didn't have the love of a father. So you don't rightfully, truly understand the love of a heavenly father. So you're afraid to go before him in his presence and know who's loving you. Identity issues, th listen, this is tough, but it even affects you physically. As we drown ourselves in our sorrows and we eat comfort food. When you don't know who you are, you'll live in confusion. When you don't have a sense of right identity, you can be battling between godly behavior and a life uh, of real convictions. So you act one way on Monday but you're somebody completely different on Wednesday. You're bouncing between one person one week and you're a different person the next week. When you don't have a right sense of identity, you can come into a, a space, any space at all, and you can become that space because you have no idea who you really are. So whatever is happening in, t in culture, you become that. When you don't have a sense of real identity, you're always evolving into something different but never becoming who you were created to be. Be careful with these people that I, I see them all the time is, oh, I'm in a new season. And they're in a new season more than four seasons that we have in the year. All the time. I'm in a new season. God is doing this. Every season we find you in, you have become something new, but you have yet to become who God has called you to be. So you're some other version of what you think you're supposed to be, but you're not really who you're supposed to be. And whatever, whatever's popular, you become that. Whatever my friends are, you become that. And whatever is popping on Instagram, whatever's trendy, that's who you become. But when you have no sense of identity, every time we bump into you, you might look like something new, but you're not who God has called you to be. When we don't have a real sense of identity, oftentimes we can put up with things that we shouldn't put up with. We stay in 
unhealthy relationships too long. Dangerous, abusive relationships too long. Sometimes when we don't have a real sense of identity, we'll settle uh, for what for what we're not supposed to settle for. We stay in the bad relationships. We stay in, in bad places too long because we don't have a right sense of identity. And we let people treat us any type of way that they want because we don't have a right sense of identity. Because you don't know who you are and who you belong to. But when you do know who you are, you walk a little different. You talk a little different. I, I dare to even say you pray a little different. You worship a little different. When you know who you are, your faith is different. You handle trouble differently. You bounce back from things that would crush the next person differently. Everything changes. The way you see yourself, the way that you see life, the way that you see your past, the way you see your present, the way you see your future. When you have a right sense of identity, when you know who you are and who you belong to, it's easier to discern what is right for you and what is a hindrance. There are major things that help shape identity is your upbringing. The home that you were raised in, the words that were spoken over you, maybe even the hugs that were given to you, the I'm proud of you, or maybe the lack of I'm proud of you, the, the I love you's, or the lack of I love you's, the way your parents taught you, the way they talked, the, the, the way they talked to you. I would even say that the lack of parents shape your identity because you become the environment that you grew up in. And some of us have shaped our identity because of failure. We think that we are we, we, think that, we think that we are where we failed. And so we label ourselves based off of things in your past. We label ourselves off of difficult seasons. And identity will come from our struggles. So we take ownership of stuff like, that's my depression. That's my mess. That's my sickness. I brought that upon myself, which sometimes is true. But we own these things like it's exactly who we are. Those are my suicidal thoughts. Those are my habits. Those are my mental issues. Your worldview can affect your identity. I believe one of the greater shapers of identity and what you believe about yourself is based off of two things, knowledge and kinship. God created the heaven, God created the earth, and as a spiritual being, God recognized that, that he can't walk around down here. We can't see him. So he created a man from the dust and he gives him life. And from that man, from his rib, he created a woman. He names that man Adam. And Adam, he creates a woman and he stamps with his image the Imago Dei. And he says, now on earth I have an image bearer. These people here, they will represent my image on earth for all time. These image bearers are supposed to carry his glory in earth so that through, through his image bearers, human beings will see and know God's ways. They will know his values and they're supposed to carry his glory so that visible humans can see an invisible God. These image bearers sin. The image is now broken into pieces. Now we're born into sin, all of us, born into sin, needing a savior, Jesus Christ. And, and so the image of God for humans is now broken. God is now saying, okay, these people, they, the image is broken now. And now God, he longs to desire somebody to bear his image. So now what he says, he says, you know what? I'm going to make a nation. And this nation, every time that they see these people, they would know that they belong to somebody different than the world. 
And he's telling, I still need someone on earth to show humanity. And so he says, I'm going to make a nation so they'll see my ways, my values. This nation was created to show humanity God's goodness. That when they looked, when the world looked at them, they would see that they served somebody that we didn't know. Around 2100 BC, before Christ, God pulls up on a man named Abram. He changes Abram's name to Abraham. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and, and, and the more popular son is, is Jacob. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. From Israel comes a lineage of many sons. Like, so many sons. I mean, they multiplied like Mexicans. Like, some of your grandparents, some of your moms, they went crazy. Some two million plus people in Egypt that were not Egyptian, but they were there. They become a threat to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, you know what? We're going to take these people as slaves. They're in bondage for hundreds of years. The lineage from Abraham all the way down, Jacob and all of his children. And... They just go crazy in bondage for hundreds of years because they were a threat to Pharaoh. These people, they cry out to God. They say, God, deliver us. We don't belong here. Deliver us. We should not be slaves. They cry out to God, and God speaks to a man named Moses. They cry to God, and God is speaking to the answer. God is not talking to them about the answer. God is speaking to the answer. I want to encourage some of you guys. God is not speaking to your answer, but he's speaking to the answer. You're crying out to the Lord, Lord, will you be faithful? God, will you help me? Lord, so-and-so is broken. So-and-so isn't saved. God, I need you to deliver this person. Deliver my husband. Deliver my wife. Lord, deliver my child. I want them to serve the Lord with me in this house. And you're crying out, but God is already speaking to the answer. You may not see it, but he's already speaking to the answer. So they keep praying, and they're praying about the problem. And he's speaking to the answer. Moses delivers two million plus people. Split the sea. They, they wander. They're, they're, they're led by a, a cloud, and they're led by, by fire, and they're delivered. Moses dies. God raises up Joshua. Joshua leads them into the land of Canaan. They get in the land of promise, and they start to see the culture around them. They start to see what, what they start to see everything else around them. And you know what they start to do? Is they start to, to get comfort and they start to get cozy and they start to say, Well, look at that nation, they have a king. That nation has a king. We want a king. Forget everything that God had already did for them. He wasn't good enough for them. They're saying, oh, We want a king. No, no, you have me. We want a king. And, and and so sometimes we have to be careful because what we ask for, God will give it to you. It'll be right there. And so what does God do? God raises up Samuel. Samuel anoints Saul. They get their king that they were looking for. Saul did a little bit of what he wanted and a little bit of what God wanted. There was compromise there. And so what happened was they, he loses the anointing. David, David steps up. King David, whom we all love and adore. David has a son named Solomon. Solomon's one of the wisest men to ever live. Solomon... Solomon was, he lost it because of, because of his, his taste in women. Solomon has a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam, he, he, he asked these wise men, he says, should, should I, he asked the wise men and he asked his friend, should I rule like my father? What could I do to rule better? The wise men say, maybe you should ease up just a little bit. That's it, just a little bit. Rule like your father, but ease up a little bit. But his friends say, no, 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 you should make it harder on the people. 
And so now what Rehoboam's dealing with is he's dealing with wise men and foolish friends. He has to choose between what people want to hear versus what people need to hear. He's having to deal with people that have itching ears because this is, this is who Rehoboam is. He has itching ears. And now what happens is we have people with a weak emotional state. We want to listen to people that make us feel awesome all the time. And we love to listen to this. It's so dangerous to be emotionally fragile that we're afraid to be convicted of the truth. And so this is Rehoboam. He just, he loses it. And because Rehoboam's leadership, because Rehoboam lost his identity and he said, you know what? I don't want to rule like the wisest men ever. I want to do what I want to do. Israel was fractured and the kingdom was lost. It is now split into two, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. History goes on and tells us that Israel was, it was taken over by the Assyrians. And then, like, time goes on, Israel is no more. It is no longer a nation. All you have is the southern kingdom of Judah. Judah is next. But what Judah is doing is now they're worshiping idols. They're doing everything that they want to do. And God says, you know what, I'm going to try this one more time. I'm going to give them the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah writes this. In Isaiah chapter 1, what we just read. Your, your assemblies, all that stuff, worthless. No good. And then I want to skip all those chapters, 1 through 39 of all the judgment, and we're going to get to Isaiah chapter 43. He says this, But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I created you. I formed you. I have redeemed you. I called you by name. You are mine. All of those other lovers that you pursue, they don't compare to me. I put my name on you. When people see you, they're supposed to see me. You are mine. God is telling them that everything in the past is done. All the hurt, all the confusion, all the brokenness, all the bad leadership, it's gone. Forget that you have been running away from me. You are mine. He's calling them to focus on one thing. Whose you are and who you belong to. He's awakening them with a sense of identity. He's saying, I created you. You are not just any nation. I created you with a purpose. The nation of Israel created you to be different from everyone else, to bear my image. I personally created you to be distinct and to be different. He says, I formed you. This, is, this right here is purposeful, intentional design. I formed you. God in heaven, I formed you. He says, I have redeemed you. I brought you out of slavery into freedom. In the same way that Christ delivers us from the world. God has set them free, delivered them. In the same way that Christ delivers us from the world. That if you believe in him, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you too are redeemed. God says that I called you by name. Your name is your identity. He's giving them, he's giving them glimpses of what God wants to do with them. And, and so, some of us, some of us don't look like we live any different from the world. So we look like every environment that we go into. We look like every season of life that overcomes and overtakes us. And we confuse people by representing a holy God living sinful lives. He goes on. To, he goes on to say, fear not. 
in this verse, God goes on to say, fear not. You know why? Because my heart is pure for you. Don't be afraid of the future. Even what you endured will not be wasted. Fear not. He told them for 39 chapters what will happen to them. He's like exile, pain, suffering. Despite him calling them, he's like, you guys sinned. You guys, you guys are still going to get in trouble. I still got to spank you a little bit. You need to go through these to understand what I'm going to do for you later on. You have to go through it. But despite all of that, he's reassuring them over and over again that you are mine. God did not abandon them in hardship. And we, we, we do this. We, we like to think that when we go through a hard time that somehow God has abandoned us. God, where are you? The, the Lord has forsaken me because of the season that you're in. But there is a reason why God is telling them about their identity before they go into trouble. You know why? Because you can endure almost anything you go through when you have a sense of destiny that is connected to your identity. Because I know what's waiting for me in heaven, I can endure anything, I can endure anything in this life. You can go through anything and come out on the other side with power and purpose because you know who you belong to. Isaiah 43 verse 2, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. You know what he's saying? He's telling them that trouble's coming. Because in this life, you will have trouble. But he also get, begins to explain the benefits of being connected to him. The benefits of being connected to God, belonging to God. He says that when the waters, the waters, when the, it says, you will not be troubled. The rivers, the rivers represent pressure. That despite, the, despite the pressure of the world, you're going to be okay. Fire is for purification. When you go through the fire, it says they will not set you ablaze. I'm going to be with you. We need to understand this, that God doesn't just change us with the wand. You know, I used to grow up uh, back in the good days when Disney Channel was cool. You know, they would say, uh, I don't know, I'm so-and-so, and you're watching Disney Channel, right? Like, that's what I think, like, a lot of people think that how God changes them is, alakazoo, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, and then you're just changed, right? That's not, God doesn't change you like that. You know how God changes you? He changes you through the fire. He changes you through the, through the perseverance that you need to prove, okay, you know what? That's not who I used to be. And because of that, those things, the pressure and the fire, it produces character. And so God isn't just out here to change people with wands. And you're out here praying, Lord, I pray that I get out of this trouble. But in maturity, you will learn, Lord, will you change me in this trouble? Lord, what are you showing me? And God is sanctifying you. When you get mature, you thank him for it because gratification is a part of maturity. When you pass through these things, when you pass through the fire, when you pass through the rivers and the, and, and, and the storms, he says, I will be with you. That is a promise. John 16, I have told you these things that so in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Psalms 23, 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will, feel no, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. God's presence is what gets us through things. Who we belong to and who is with us. My circumstances don't need to change. God is with me. Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Just as God told Israel, God told Judah, these people, just as he told them that you are mine, he is now telling them, I am yours. 
so much, so much going on here. He, he's, he's telling them, in the same way that you belong to me, I belong to you. That is the benefits of covenant. It is reciprocating. I belong to him and he belongs to me. What I go through, he's there. He's with me. God is saying that if you can commit to me, he's going to commit to you. There was no price for the rescue of his people, and God proved that with the death of his son on the cross. Verse 4, i, I got to hurry up here. It says, since you are precious, my goodness, receive this. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. He's, in the verse before that, it says that I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. God is saying that I will give up people to see that you're delivered. That is so powerful. And this is where identity begins to come in. Like, you are precious to the Lord. When we understand how precious to God that we are, we would start doing, we would stop doing and posting the things that we post on Instagram, stop talking the way that we talk, because we're precious to the Lord. He says that you are honored. I wasn't honored growing up. God that created me, He honors me. And loved by, by the creator of heavens and earth. Knowledge and kinship. He's telling me that I'm precious, I'm honored, and I'm loved. That is knowledge. And he's, t- and he's telling me that I'm his. That is kinship. Those two things. He's giving nations for Israel. He goes through great lengths to free us from bondage. He strips us from people, circumstances to free us. Christina, I... I know that I didn't want the kids, but can you just try to grab them real fast? Please, Mila and Noah, please. I'm a, I have an illustration. I wasn't going to do it. If it works out, great, we'll do it. Isaiah 43, verse 5 through 7. It says this. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created from my glory, whom I formed and made. To understand verse 5 through 7, we have to understand history really fast. We, we know that Israel went to exile. They no longer existed as a nation. The Jewish nation was scattered all across through pockets of the earth. For 2,000 years, uh, b- until, until 1948, there was no kingdom of Israel. In 1948, God honors his word. Jews from all around the world, calling them from the north, from the west, from the south. One day, because of ratification of, of, a, of the U.S. president, Israel becomes a nation again. God keeps his word throughout all time. You want to see a prophetic word of the Bible becoming true? This is it right here. Israel once again becomes a nation. All of the Jews, all of the Jews now have a place. They're back in Canaan where they belong. It says, do not be afraid for I am with you. All, all of these people scattered, all these people scattered, he keeps his promise. 
that if we can believe anything about God, we can believe his word because of how true everything that he says will be done. So based off of who he says you are and understanding who we belong to, it will completely change the trajectory of your life. That if we were to believe the word of God, that you are loved, that you are precious, that you are honored, and that we serve a holy God, that changes everything. There's this testimony. Um, there's this man that I used to live with. I left my house. Um, one of my friends said, you know what? You can stay with us. And, um, and I seen this dynamic of a beautiful relationship between a father and son. The son was, he was probably 18 years old. I don't know, 18, 19 years old. And uh, he was doing whatever he wanted to do. And he told me, so we were hanging out one time, you know, they were drinking and smoking. I, I wasn't into that, even though I wasn't right with the Lord in my heart at the time. Um, he just doing whatever he wanted with his friends. We were all just hanging out. And, and he said something so profound. He's like, I need to stop because I don't want to disappoint my father. And I've seen the beautiful, powerful, I mean, something that, that I was learning as I got older was this beautiful dynamic of, of, of a father just loving his son. He didn't get the belt. He didn't get beat. He didn't do any of those things. He just was afraid to lose his father's trust. And, and this revelation began to happen in my heart. I wasn't living right. And I, I remember laying down one day on, on the couch, and I was on his couch, and I was just thinking, man, Lord, I haven't been afraid to upset you. I haven't been afraid to, to disappoint you or to break your heart. I've been living however I want to live. Are, are my kids coming? They're not coming? Okay. I have two children. My daughter's five. My son's going to be three. My daughter, she rep... I, I wish I had them up here. My daughter represents... All of the women that God created, my son represents all the men. My children disobey me, even though they're young, especially my daughter. She's learning now. They deliberately disobey me. I sound like Mufasa. <laughs> you deliberately disobeyed me. <laughs> they make mistakes. My children make mistakes. They're young. I understand. And I know that they're going to make more, more mistakes. Listen, they do crazy things out of ignorance. They challenge me. They don't listen to me. But when I look at my children, I have never had an evil thought about them. Despite everything that was done to me as a child, all the torture, all the abuse, I don't say those words lightly, all the neglect, me as a human, frail, frailty, despite all of the things that they do and that they're going to do, there is nothing that will make me love them any less. That when I look at my daughter and I look at my son, I love them. I will do anything to provide for you. I will do anything that will, that will get you right in life. I'm going to help you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to make sure that the walk that you have is a little easier because you have a father that loves you. Even when they are wrong. Even when they're wrong. I love them. They mean the world to me. Me as a human 
as a human, like, I mess up. They can never gauge, like, they will always love me no matter how much I mess up. That's the truth, because I love a lot of people that did me wrong. Same for some of you guys. Despite all of that, can you imagine how much a heavenly father who created you, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you, how much he loves you, how much he desires that you live a righteous, holy life, that you accept the blood that was shed on the cross, that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. If I could have the keys come up, if I could have the worship team, Jesus is crying out to you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you that because we don't know who we are and we don't know who we belong to, cycles of brokenness over and over and over. You want healing in your marriage? Remember who you belong to. Remember who Christ called you to be and how to lead your home. Wives, maybe it's hard for you to submit to a husband that isn't worthy to be submitted to. We have to remember who God has called us to be. If I forget that I'm a husband, it will affect my children. If, I'm a, if I forget that I'm, that I'm a son of God, then I live like I belong to the world. If I forget that, that, that I represent Reach Paramount, and I'm afraid we'll look at, like most churches, somewhere over there. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know what church is over there. It's everywhere. Knowledge and kinship. You have broken ideas of who you are. You're, you, you have, I mean, there are people here, you are living in, a, in an identity crisis. And I'm not talking about midlife crisis or I don't know what to do with my life. I'm out of high school. I'm done with college. I don't know what to do. I need to, I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about you as a man of God in this house, you as a disciple in the kingdom of God, you as a spouse, you as a parent, you as a friend, as a sibling, there are identity issues that are broken that cause us to live apart from fruits of the Spirit, apart from how Christ has called us to live. As God was speaking to the nation of Israel, He is setting the example and setting the tone on how He is speaking to all of mankind. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He redeemed us. He saved us. That if you, if you accept him, you are no longer of this world. He has stamped you. God, in this crazy way, in this scandalous way, God now has an obligation to me. He's my father. I submit myself to him and his, his authority. And, and all of his love, all of his righteousness, all of his goodness, whether it hurts or not, he loves me. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.